Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Episode 60 of the Washed Up Email Podcast. I am Tom Mullen. This episode, we welcome Brian Lowett. Brian Lowett started Love It Records and works at Discord. How awesome is that job? Uh, Love It Records started out in 95 and they put out some amazing bands, some of my favorites, including Engine Down, 400 Years, Mile Marker, and in the background, Sleepy Time Trio. Brian also shed light on working at Discord, and we spent a good chunk of time talking about the festival Mac Rock that we both attended. Search out this label, search out these bands, and keep digging. And wait for the breakdown. You grew up in Northern Virginia, correct? I did. And, you know, obviously being so connected, uh, you know, was going into D.C., was was going to shows, was that like a big event? Or is it something that you just sort of... Uh, always felt you needed to do. I don't know. Sometimes you know, DC to me when I first went, I was like, "Oh my god, this place is crazy!" <laughs> There's so much going on. Or you know, maybe my first time to the 9:30 Club. Um, you know, for you, was it? What was it about? You know, if it was you know getting into the scene, was it even then, or did it take? Did did you have to go to college first to sort of understand what was going on? Um, I started. I had a friend in who I grew up with from like. I guess I started becoming friends with them in third or fourth grade. My and my dad passed away when I was in elementary school, and one of my um my mom was a teacher at the elementary school, and one of her like co teachers, um, uh, sorry, she um basically helped my mom sometimes watch after school. Like I'd go to his house, and like so we we just became good friends because of it. And he lived down the street. And then so I think around, uh, he started getting into hardcore music, like, I don't know, maybe in seventh grade. So then he, he like, made me a mix of, like, some stuff he was, like, listening to. And then um, I just got, like, really into it and kind of helped, I don't know, it kind of was one of those things where I was like, holy shit, like, this is amazing. Like, it kind of just opened this, like, weird world I didn't know existed in a way. What was on um, it? It was a lot of, like, Revelation hardcore and, like, you know, California stuff. It was a lot more East Coast stuff. I mean, West Coast stuff than East Coast stuff. Um, but yeah, it was kind of all over the place. I don't remember exactly, but it was probably like Youth of Today and Judge and a lot of those type of bands. Um, and then, I don't know, was Shelter around then? It was stuff more like that. Like, yeah. Like more Rev and Equal Vision type stuff. And then, so then it got, for so shows. Then it got, yeah, right? Yeah, so then I, I don't know. So then I was just like, holy shit, like this is amazing. Because I... It was one of the things where I was never kind of like a normal kid, and I never felt like I fully fit into like one thing. So it just kind of opened this world to me where I was like, "Oh, this is really exciting!" It's not only do I really like the music, but it's kind of it's its own like you know scene, it's its own community. So yeah, I started going to shows, and then um, started going to. I mean, at this point, I started. I don't know what my first show exactly was. 
I guess it was probably eighth or ninth grade. And, um, yeah, I used to go to, like, in D.C., there were all the Positive Four shows that were, like, in church basements and, um, you know, just kind of all over the place, like day like day matinee shows. Um, yeah, I go to shows at the old 930 Club. Um, a lot of times I would take Metro. I mean, I lived in Northern Virginia, but it was only a few stops outside of D.C. on the Metro. So I would take, you know, Metro and, or, like, sometimes part of, you know, part of driving, like, one of our friends parents might drop us off outside the club and then pick us back up or something. It feels like it's old 930 club, which is kind of funny thinking about it now. But, um, and then of course when you start driving, you drove yourself. But, um, yeah, so I just got, I went to like every show possible basically at that point. And, um, I used to go into Georgetown a lot and get all the punk record stores and just bought like, bought like records all the time. And, um, yeah, so I just got like pretty, pretty into it. And um, were you just like, I mean, was there a certain, you know, was it, was it still the, you know, was it straight edge hardcore stuff? Was it, was it more of the, you know, was it like post at that time? Like what, what things were really, you know, sort of connecting with you band wise or was it just everything? Kind of everything. It was kind of everything. Like if it was like a, you know, like a punk show, I was into it. Um, I didn't, I was never like someone that really was into like the mosh pit and kind of more violent like mm-hmm. pushing type shows. I mean, I went to plenty of shows where that stuff happened, but um, I definitely was probably more into like a positive force show than like, I don't know, like um, maybe a matinee at like the Safari Club where there was like, you know, going to be total chaos. Yeah. <laughs> so I probably got away from the Revelation stuff maybe a little bit as I kind of got more into it. I got more into like the, you know, like the more the Discord DC scene. Um, and what... Yeah, what... I mean, it was kind of, it was honestly a little bit of every, I mean, I'm, if it was, it's kind of funny. I mean, even like indie rock, like Velocity Girl or whatever. It was just like if it was, if it was like a part of the like local scene, like I was kind of going to it or like into it. What but about DC? Like, I think what about you know DC? That if someone's, you know, you 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 have you have a minute to like explain that scene because it's I've you know I've spent a lot of time there. It's so different from a Philly, a New York, a Boston, West Coast, Europe. There's just, I always felt that it was so tight of a community. Like, you know, it was everyone knew everyone or there was this like sense of community and that I didn't see anywhere else um, as much. I don't know if that was something that you felt. I mean, yeah, I don't know if I had gotten into like, yeah, I don't know if I had lived in, if I'd grown up in Philly or Boston, if I would have gotten into it as much because of the reasons you're stating. Like, I, I feel like there was definitely a sense of community and place in the DC scene and also a sense of like social responsibility. Like I thought, you know, the punk scene, a lot of it, like also was like, you you know, like getting people to volunteer, like the homeless shelter or like, you know, positive force was doing all these great things and really pushing like for social change, which I, I was also interested in. And they gave you like easy ways of like, we're looking for people to do this on this Saturday or this, and I think it just kind of like, you know, it made it more of a community where it wasn't just like you go to a show and you leave. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, like when I went to start the label, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. So, you know, I asked, you know, people at Discord, I asked Simple Machines, and everyone was just always so helpful with sharing information. Like no one was just like, oh, this this guy's going to come and take this band from me. <laughs> They're going to do something that's going to like compete with me. Like that was never, you know, what was coming out of D.C. It was more like, hey, let's all help each other. And so, you know, whenever anyone asked me how to do things, I tried to go, I mean, it's hard now if you get so many emails, but I try to go out of my way to, like, return the favor whenever I can with sharing information and stuff that I know some people just don't like to do because I'm just like, you know, I, I had to start somewhere and everyone was helpful to me. So, you know, and everyone, you know, there's kind of the greater good. So I think DC was always about that and, it just made it a little bit maybe more special than some other the music scenes. I mean, and the music was obviously great too. Yeah, that's the other part. There were so many fucking good bands. I mean, I just yeah, like when I was at work today, I did. I was like, you know what? I'm going to look at the Discord records catalog. You just scroll again because you know you forget some over the time, and you just start yeah, reading them, and you're like, oh my god, that era, this band, or this era, this band, and it, you just start to kind of. Yeah, the nineties, like yeah, huge. Yeah, and I mean. Well, you know, a lot of those bands, like, you know, the shows would be crowded, but the, a lot of those bands, 
weren't that big in the end, but they, you know, their music's pretty timeless. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing is they're still mentioning, people still mention, um, uh, you know, those bands, uh, and and it's, they're in whatever article gets mentioned about whatever genre, there's going to be a discord band in there. And I think that's really interesting. And why do you feel that? Is it, is it DC and the political? Is it because there's so many suburbs, uh, you know, that, that are surrounding it with the Maryland and Virginia? What, do you have any hypothesis on what was sort of happening or why there was such a continuous stream of it? I mean, I think one is people are, are just supportive of music in DC. Like musicians are supportive of each other. And I think people, you know, I think people are more willing maybe to play music. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but I think, well, I know like a place like New York, it's just more expensive to be in a band, let's say, because you pay a lot to be for a practice base although dc is starting to get a little crazy with that stuff but <laughs> i think you know back in the day like it was just a lot easier and probably cheaper in dc to be a band than it was in maybe new york um but yeah i think it's just i think things just support each other if you have like some bands that are really good then every you know other people want to play music and be a part of it um and it just kind of kind of circles around yeah, and then when you you went to went to school down in North Carolina at Guilford, and what was the you know I, it was funny I was reading and um, you would, you were at the radio station and I you know I was doing the radio station stuff at the same time it was that moment those those late nineties I mean you rate, college radio was still a pretty big deal and you can it help. was that was a great thing to be a part of I mean it, it <laughs> that's definitely the thing I miss about. In North Carolina, sometimes is, um, I guess it's, now you have internet radio, but it's it's kind of, um, it's not the same. Like, I don't know. I I really like that in North Carolina you could drive through the whole state and always get a good college radio station. Yeah, we were uh, all the way through the state. Like, yeah, like, like fifteen twenty of them. Like it was amazing. They'd all you're just like you just keep going, you keep driving. You'd always find like someone playing really good music. You don't. I mean, you don't have that here. There was that sense of um, unknown, or you know, it wasn't like we could we could we had a message board for the radio station, so we could tell. I remember being at the station I was at WSOE. You know, we were I think four exits on I forty. You could hear us, um, and uh, I remember these kids calling in, and they were like, "Oh, you played this band, blah blah blah." And I'm like, "Oh, where are you from?" They're like, "Oh, we're in the high school." Like the high school kids were listening. Ended up yeah, no, we got that all the time. We got a couple of high school kids, one of which I actually still talk to now, but he, um, that would tape, like, tape the radio show. Yeah. Because they would, like, that was their way of finding out about bands, just because, and it, it, the first couple of times I heard it, it would just, like, blow my mind, because WKFS actually had a pretty good frequency, and um, you could get it into Virginia on a clear night. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, so... um which is funny because people kept trying to take over the station because it was um, it had a good it was ninety point nine or it is ninety point nine and I know that people oh you guys got that that that's that's pretty high up on the scale it is yeah and the frequency so the actually the crazy thing within that though is we always had um for a little while there was some Christian station that wanted to like take the call letter so what they would do is they'd have people listen to the station twenty four seven and every time. Someone would like say, you know, fuck, or like play a song with the word fuck or whatever. They'd, re- they'd report it because That's they, they were, yeah, they had people just listening to the station, just looking for a mess up, and then they'd contact the um, FC, FCC about it because they were in like you know. After a couple months, we found out because the FCC sent us all these viol- you know violations, and we had to like you know the whole station went on notice because like well they're just doing this because they're trying to get you guys all kicked off the whole station off the air because they want to take it over. And I was like, that's insane. What year was this? Uh, this would have probably been 95 or 96, I guess. That is hilarious. But I guess, you know, you can't just, if a new station wants to come on the air, you have to kick someone off, basically, or take someone over because it's not like they just have empty frequencies. Yeah. So they figured, I guess, smartly that a college station would be <laughs> pretty easy pickings. But luckily, the college was very supportive of the station, and they knew it was actually a selling point, um, a selling point to certain students. So they, you know, they made sure that they supported the station. But there, I mean, there were points where they're like, "You guys have to clean up your act." 
Wow. But yeah, yeah, but I had a show that was after 10, so, you know, there were different rules. Safe haven hours. Yeah, but they, you still could get in trouble for certain things. But, um, yeah, but no, I I loved I loved that two hours a week I, I got to do it. And yeah. It was great because I, I love... I love learning about new music and you know, every label would send you stuff and then you, you obviously got free records, but you got to listen to stuff first. And yeah, it was, it was great. My favorite was probably the road trips to the shows playing the new music so that, you know, whoever's driving and they'd be like, Tom, what do you got this week? And I'm like, Oh, I have X band and it's this. And they're like, where is it? You know, and then you listen to it the whole way through or you're whatever, maybe it's 30 minutes to Carborough and then, you know, another record on the way back. And it's, I guess, you know, it's the, the sense of an album is over or the sense of having that much patience. But I vividly remember staring out a window, listening to records. And I just think, think of me now doing that. It would be, I mean, how many social updates would I have done after the show? Yeah, exactly. No, I remember, I definitely remember car trips going to shows. Um, yeah, I've, and one and I remember driving to um, the Cradles. I guess it was probably one of it must have been Jawbreaker's last tour and gain like gain a speeding ticket. Like I just remember certain things <laughs> going to shows. I remember one time with um, one of my friends. We drove from Greensboro to DC to see Fugazi play at the Nine Thirty Club, and we drove there, went to the show, hung out, and then drove back to be at a eight AM class. And, you know, so it was like 10 hours of driving for three hours, but it was like worth it. But I mean, of course, I wouldn't do that now, but like, you know, those are the things. And then, oh yeah, I, that's so funny you say that. I did the same thing for Sunny Day Real Estate at 930 Club. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, but those things are like, yeah, at the time, you're like, this is stupid, but you remember those things. And <laughs> You and had to do it. It was Sunny Day, you know, or yeah, you had to do it. It was Fugazi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, no, um, no I've, yeah, the, the radio station... Yeah, college radio really tied things together for me. I mean, that's why I was just like, I was just like, well, but, you know, I was working at the station. I was just like, I wanted to be involved in, I played DC music in North, you know, like one of my shows I did, it was mostly, I was just playing DC music down there. And it was cool because then I got to bring some of the bands that I play down there to play at Dick Street or at the college or different places and people had heard them. But then, you know, at some point I was just like, well, I don't, I'm not a musician, but I, I like being involved. And obviously I wasn't going to do the radio station after I left college. So I started kind of thinking about what I wanted to do. And then I was like, maybe I should put out records. And that's kind of how it came about. Like I was just at the radio station thinking about it. And then, um, wow. yeah. That, and the, the first release was Monarchid, was, right? Yep. Yeah. It was the Monarchid 7-inch. And I didn't really know those guys. I actually just, I can't remember who gave me their contact, but um, I just called them up. And I was just like, look, I'm starting this label. Um, and I want to put out a seven inch by you guys. I'd seen them play a bunch of times. Well, maybe not. They hadn't played a bunch of times. I should take that back. But I'd probably seen them like five or six times. And they had been in a previous band called Orchid. And then I, I was just like, why is no one putting this out? So I, so I was like, look, <clears throat> I'm gonna start a label. I want to put out a seven inch by your band. And know uh, it's kind of crazy because you know I don't have any records out or whatever. But this is kind of how I want to do it. And they're like, that's cool. <laughs> So they they're like yeah let's do it I was like huh so um yeah so I put that was the first release and you probably learned a lot on, 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 at, at that time because it wasn't like it wasn't like you just uploaded it to fucking Bandcamp no well although <laughs> it was it was easier then honestly tell me why um well there were weirder ste- there are some weirder steps to doing a release back then for sure because the artwork was a lot crazier because well, that seven is Jason Farrell designed it. And, uh, you know, he had to piece it all together by hand and then we had to get the negatives done and then they would, you know, make the print off the negatives where now you can do everything on a computer and send it off. But, um, so there were some things that were a little different and more cumbersome, but now, so before, you know, I got the seven inch made, I sold them to, you know, uh, distributors, some stores, the band took some copies, sold it through the mail, and that was kind of it. And placed an ad or two, like in Heart Attack and Punk Planet. But now, you you have to kind of do the same thing. You have to do production. You have to, um, well, I guess there are not many magazines to do ads in anymore, but you, um, you have to sell to all the same people you did before, but then you also have to put it up on a million different websites like Bandcamp, 
iTunes, like, you know, all those places. You have to, like, maintain your own website. You have to, um, yeah, there's just, like, you have to, you know, put it up on social media, like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And then people get in touch with you over email and, like, all these different sources, like, they're messaging about the release. And, it, you know, and, of course, they don't sell as well as they used to because more people might be listening to it online. You may not be getting paid for it. But um, more people might hear the release than they used to in a way, but you're getting paid less and selling less. But you're doing maybe twice the amount of work on a release. Yeah, it definitely feels like that sometimes where yeah, you're like, wait a minute, there's all this social media, there's all this website stuff. Yeah, and there's sort of a less return. But well, supposedly more people are listening. Well, exactly. And I think more people are listening, which is cool, but you it goes in such a like a black hole that you kind of... You know people are, but you kind of don't know. Because when you sold records, you're like, okay, this shipment of 57 inches is going to Japan. Like, this is going to that. Like, you don't really know what's happening half the time. Like Because iTunes and Spotify have that data, not you. Yeah, exactly. And it's getting passed around in other ways, too. So in one way, it's like, okay, it's cool. It's getting around. But on the other hand, it's just like, it, it's a little more thankless in a weird way. Because, I mean, I like the active. Like, I think it's fun to do melder sometimes because it's like you actually are like, oh, this is going to this person at this address. Like it's an actual kind of like, you know, it's a personal transaction. Yeah. You know, like you're sending, you're like, okay, you're picturing this person's going to put this record on, they're going to enjoy it. But now it's like, yeah, you upload to iTunes and it's just like you get a like an Excel sheet. You know, <laughs> you're just like, <laughs> like here's your forty nine cents. <laughs> you know, yeah, right? I don't know, and you're just like, and then you sometimes you got to wonder like. Are these like? Would you know if Apple could just be shooting out any any number they want? Like, how would you ever know? Because like, with set, like when you make a record, you have inventory, so you know if you're missing records. But like with digital stuff, you have no way to audit like that their numbers are correct. And it's I feel like it's in and I mentioned this a lot on the podcast, and it's because I'm old. But I feel like it's it's there's missing this connection, and I know that it still Definitely. happens. I know that there's still basement shows. I know that these things still happen. But there's that personal feeling. You saying you you're writing this thing to Japan and you're sending fifty records exactly. and wow, I just sent ten, you know, rec- packages to Japan. Maybe we should play there. Or, yeah, exactly. No, it blows my mind. Like when I, it still blows my mind when I'm like, oh, this person in China ordered a record. This is freaking awesome. <laughs> you don't get that. You don't get that feeling when you get like just this like yeah S- spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's 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 not the same. I mean. And it's not being, it's not sounding old, it's just true. I mean, I think anyone that's younger would agree <laughs> it's more it's more exciting if they had they did it the other way too, because I don't know. It it is weird. It's also just sometimes it just feels like it's a lot more administrative work. Yeah. Than ever before. And it's it can be Yeah, it can just be it can be overwhelming at times to put out a release because it's just you just feel like there's so many things you have to do. Yeah, and there. You're, I mean, now, now that you say it, you're right. Your first release, what was there? Seven steps. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Now there's like thirty. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, people. You put up the record, you sell them, and then you just move on to the next one. And that was kind of like maybe you'd repress it, but most of the time you just let it go and use that money to to press another one. But yeah, now it just lives kind of like in so many different places, and you have to kind of maintain it. And yeah, I mean it's. It's not that I mind doing it the way that it's being done now, but it it's just it's harder to put out it's harder to crank out releases. It's just it just is and there's also the production delays of plants being so overrun. Well they, they the need to make uh they, they need to bl- to make all those major label, you know, vinyl releases. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean that's 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 exactly the problem and once they're out of all their weird like Ghostbuster like picture discs and you want to know something funny about that one? That that's, that's the label I work for. Put that out. Oh, really? And there's one where it's like a Stay Puff, where it's like it's like a scratch and sniff. And like I was, I was blown away. I was like, oh my god, we have really gotten to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I definitely feel that way. And I also, I mean, even today, I mean, I'm, I won't mention who, but I I got a um a price increase into this from one of the pressing plants. And they increased their prices last year, too. And they're like, well, you know, because of the rising costs. It's like, yeah, but I, I try to, you know, sell records at a cheaper price just to make them more accessible. And, you know, if people don't like the record, they don't, they're like, oh, they're, they're more willing to off. take a chance at like $13, yeah. $14. But it's like, 
the record plants are starting to you know raise their prices because they're they're seeing that the the labels are charging thirty forty dollars on some of these ridiculous records. Like, but I'm not doing that. Yeah, <laughs> like you're killing me. Wow. <laughs> like you're literally every time you're raising your prices five ten percent. Like it's you know I don't. Yeah, I know that's it's pretty frustrating. People are buying them though. I mean that that Ghostbusters thing was was yeah, definitely. you know crazy and it's it's depressing, right? Yeah, it's sort of I mean my 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 professional life is like okay, well that's good. I get the you know, I can still have a job. I mean that's not obviously why, but like okay, well that's good. It's doing well. We're doing right for the market. But then my DIY brain is like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, I I'm think torn. at some point it's going to collapse under its own weight because record stores are going to end up getting stuck with it all. But Because, and now if everyone doesn't know this, is the reason why everyone loves vinyl is because it's non-returnable. CDs are returnable. You could A store could buy 30 and they only sell 15. They can send the 15 back and guess who pays for that? The label, but not yeah. vinyl. It's a one-way. So I'm, just, I'm teaching everybody. It's, it's a one-way. So those... That's why everyone loves it, and I think you're totally right that the labels are going to get stuck with it. Well, and also what I've run into is um, with CDs, stores are obviously are more willing to take a chance, but because it was returnable. But now, you know, if I call a store and say like, "Oh, we're putting out this new release," you know, and they're like, "Oh, my budget spent because I bought the Ghostbusters thing for Record Store Day because they were thirty bucks each. I needed ten of them." So they're not like half the time they're like, "Oh, I don't know, I'll take one or." You know, like something maybe they took three or four and before they just don't have the budgets because they're buying all these other high priced records. So that they have like a monthly budget of like two thousand dollars to buy new records a month. Like you're just it's and hard it's, to, and it's, it's hard to get in there with that. And it's and it's a different person that's buying that release versus an indie release. So the guy going in there looking for the Love It records doesn't see it. But yep. the other per that's interesting. it's almost like changing the audience of the record store. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 weird times for sure. Yeah, I mean, well, no, I mean, on the flip side, things like Bandcamp have have made it that people. It, it's an alternative in the fact that, like, if you know, when I when I was growing up and I couldn't find a record, usually I would mail order records directly most of the time, like based on like people doing ads and like you know, Punk Planet or Heart Attack or whatever or Max Rock and Roll, but. You know, if I couldn't find it at the store and couldn't find the address, you just didn't get the record. Yeah. <laughs> but now, I mean, if you want a record, you can get it in, like, seconds. So I guess, you know, there is the flip side of things like Bandcamp, which is like, well, you can find things, like the most obscure things, like, instantaneously, which is cool. So yeah. th- that is a positive part of it. Yeah. Um, I would love to talk about some bands, my favorite bands on Love It Records. And then I want you to mention some that people need to check out. Sure. Um, one of my favorites, I will just start with this one just because it's off the top of my head, Sleepy Time Trio. Great band. One like, of my favorite bands, too. The, 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 I, there's, a, there's a word that gets misconstrued, and it's called screamo I, or you know chaotic. I have never felt like a show where I thought like, well, I felt it. But this would definitely their shows where you thought everything was going to break, but it didn't. Um, oh, or sometimes they did. <laughs> yeah, or or did. What uh, I I would love the you know the story how you found them what sort of the you know the story behind it and sort yeah, of I, was, I mean well, if anyone was, hasn't checked them out you can pause the po- podcast right now check them out and then press play again. <laughs> definitely. They, well, it's funny because people that know the band love them for sure. Um, so I won't say they were underappreciated by any means, but I. I yeah, I'm, sometimes I think they don't get enough credit, though. Even as the people that give them credit give them a lot of credit, um, I think they definitely deserve all that credit plus some. But, yeah, so um, Shelby, who played guitar and singer in Frodis, uh, has helped me with Lovett stuff off and on for years. And he... Um, he told me about CP Time Trio because he lived near one of the members. And he gave me a tape, and he was like, hey, I think you should, you know, need to check this band out. It's a great band for Love It to put out. And he gave me a tape with um, some of their songs. I was just like, holy shit, this is amazing. So um, they had put out, I believe at that point they put out two 7-inches, and they wanted to put out like a EP, like a 12-inch. And so I was just like, got to do this. So... <laughs> Um, I remember driving to Richmond 
with Shelby and seen them, and then, uh, I think they played, uh, well, I might be getting shows confused, but I think that show they played, like, a converted movie theater where they had taken all the seats out, and, um, they used to have shows in there. But, um, yeah, and I was just like, yeah, I, I want to do this. So we put out that 12-inch, um, that was the seventh Lovett release, and then, um, yeah, it's funny, because those guys have been in a million Lovett bands since, like, I'm just, those guys ended up being friends, friends and kind of family for life. So that was like probably the best release in the fact that <laughs> it, it spawned. spawned. Yeah. And just like amazing friends and like from those friends, other friends, it just, that was definitely the best decision the label ever made was putting out that band for sure. <laughs> for multiple reasons. Like I love those guys to death and, um, they all mean a lot to me, but, um, Nice. Yeah, but they they broke up not too long after, and then we put out the CD, which was kind of a discography of all their stuff. But then they um they've done like little stints here and there ever since. I actually went to Japan with them a well a year and a half ago now, I guess. Um, some guy in Japan offered to bring them over. Wow. So, yeah, so I facilitated that, and then of course I was like, I'm going on this. <laughs> so um, yeah, so um yeah, so they they do play every once in a while, and I think they're actually playing a house show in the spring like their whole thing is they they do shows like if like still if it's the right show but they, they're not they don't want to do it for the money so they don't want to play like like you know 500 capacity club if someone asks like hey do you want to play my basement a lot more likely they'll do it wow i love that they just yeah because they just want to they want to do it because they love those songs and they, and they just want to do it just to respect the music. So, um, yeah, but I, yeah, those, those guys are, are amazing. Another uh, favorite 400 years. Yeah. Which that kind of came out of sleepy time and two, cause they torched together. So I, um, yeah. So the sleepy time tree and 400 years toured a bunch. So we were putting, we put out 400 years pr- pretty, um, soon after sleepy time trio and they, they went to Europe and then toured the U S together and stuff um but yeah they were um those records are all really great and uh yeah i still talked to a couple of those guys nice yeah and then mile marker good mile stuff. marker actually i'm working with again funny enough oh no way tell us so mile marker so al and dave well i put out um dave's been a, in this band oxes that i've been working with but mm-hmm. he i mean i'll move to germany um and then, well, I'll backtrack. So, Mile Marker came about, though, because Ben Davis, who was the CP Time Trio, played in Mile Marker for a while. So then it made sense. And then they were they were a band. At that point, they were living in Carborough, North Carolina. Um, so, the, you know, and then since I was in Greensboro, it all kind of came together. So I put out the Mile Marker record, Frigid Form Cells, and then... Um, yeah, so what happened recently is Al and Dave decided to get it going again since they're both in Germany. Um, they're like, we should start doing this again. So I just released a two-song 7-inch uh, a couple months ago that they did, and then um, we're re- reissuing Frigid on vinyl in the spring, and they actually just finished um, recording a new full-length. Oh, wow. Um, I, think they, I think they finished it yesterday, actually. Um so that's going to get mastered in a couple of weeks. And yeah, they're going to do a bunch of touring and stuff. They're going to tour the States, I think in the late summer is the plan at the moment. So yeah, it's pretty crazy. Some It's crazy how some things come full circle, but yeah, yeah. they were always, um, a band went through a lot of different lineup changes, but they're definitely one of my favorites. And that, that era of mile marker that, um, was just really awesome. They put on a really intense, awesome live shows. Um, yeah, I mean, all three of those bands were playing around the same time and they were, I just, I was really lucky because I was just like, bands all like were amazing musicians and all just put on like killer, cool live shows and toured a lot. Yeah, and and, and they were all they connected. All their, yeah, and they all worked their asses off. Like, I mean, those, <laughs> I don't even know how many shows Mile Marker did or, but like in the 90s, but it was, it was insane. They were like, all those bands were constantly on tour. <laughs> Uh, another one that I think um, everyone needs to pause and play if they haven't heard um, and uh, is Engine Down. 
and um, definitely under the pretense of present tense, that song, The Offer of Something, when I first heard it, I I must have played it on my radio show every week. Um, and then it just their live show, everything about that band, I think, spawned so many other bands. Yeah, um, so Jonathan from Soupy Dem Trio was in Engine Down. So he, and then um, Jason Wood, who was in Engine Down, was the um, Soupy Dem Trio roadie. And he sang on one of their songs, so there's the like connection again with Sleepy Time Trio. But yeah, the first time I saw them was actually in Greensboro. They played at a house show. Jonathan's like, "Hey, you know, I'm in this new band. You sh- should come check it out." I'm like, "Yeah, of course." And they were doing. I think there was a little overlap with Sleepy Time there too, actually, because um, you know everyone's in the fifty bands. But <laughs> it's funny they invited me to this house show, and it was at this place. I think it was called the Broken Window. I can't remember, but. Literally, it was like a shed behind a house, but you had to crawl through like a broken window to get in. It was like so sketchy. Yeah, it was so sketchy. It was unbelievable. It was hilarious. But yeah, so that was the first time I saw them. And I was just like, holy shit. And it was, you know, all those early songs. And I was just like, you know, this is amazing. I have to like put it out. And then they gave me a demo that's like, don't, I hope you don't hate, like, don't hate us because these songs aren't all hashed out. I saw the demos sitting around here somewhere. And, um, I was like, oh, fucking, no, and I was just, like, blown away. So, yeah, I was really lucky to work with those guys. And then I actually went to Europe with them. I went, I went out on the road with them a couple of times. Oh, wow. Yeah, those, yeah, they were just amazing. They were, I mean, as a, as a fan watching them, it was so different, and I think it was like they... They, it's not like they planned what they were doing because they had the lights and they had the you know the imagery whatever it was. I remember seeing them you know one Mac Rock or something. Yeah, yeah, all red, but but they just had they had it together, and yeah. I think it just showed this professionalism. But there were this indie rock band, and it kind of I don't know it just it 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 messed it not, didn't mess me up. It made me sort of realize like fucking a. <laughs> sure, yeah. Tell me about those lights. The um, we went to Europe in late August of 2001. So we were in Europe, actually, when on September 11th, 2001. And then um, we were actually in Germany. When everything happened, it was pretty nutty. But I, I'm almost positive. So we brought all that stuff over on the airplane. Like, they had all those poles. They, mm-hmm. like, put together all their lights themselves. And I'm almost positive we had to leave all that stuff in Europe because, the like, the plane regulations, like, changed so fast. And we're like... Oh, wow. So it was just like, oh, you can't come on play with a bunch of pipes, you know? <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think all that stuff got left in Europe, if I remember correctly. But oh, that's random. Yeah, um, and then also, you know, your uh, the you know the uh, history and love of you know Frodus and of course Decahedron. Um, you know what what did that relationship sort of with that band and then you know you know Shelby or Jason mean to you and love it and sort of just well and I still talk to those guys all the time too I mean I probably got like five emails from Shelby today actually and I talked to Jason a couple times a week on the phone but yeah so show that was love it release number two and Shelby definitely um, had like a lot of input in the label early on which was great and um, yeah I talk, I went on the road with those guys a couple of times too and we had a lot of fun and. Yeah, I mean, those are also, like, great great guys, great band. Um, and, I, you know, like, putting out Frodus actually, you know, led to, like, putting out CP Time Trio. It is funny how, like, one thing can kind of trigger yeah. of other things. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, and then we just reissued the Frodus Weapons vinyl, um, which we were originally going to put out back in the day, but they had broken up, and then... I think it was just at a point with the label where, like, we weren't sure. Like, we had a lot coming out, and they had broken up, and it just was a little unclear, like, what, you know, like, what was going to happen with their stuff, and it just got sat on, and then it got put up by this, uh, it got put up by School by Ramen because our friend Tony worked there at the time, and he got them to put it out, and then they never even really promoted it. And it's funny because we ended up basically with the record, after all this time anyway, <laughs> but wow, and, it, and now people appreciate it where, you know, when they broke up at the time, the record just kind of came out and, you know, it was a little bit lost, even though it was, it was such an amazing record. And the, I mean, did you feel as you were doing this label, I mean, it's, it's been since what, 95, 96. Yep. And, you know, what are some of the ebbs and flows? Were there, 
were there times when you're like, I gotta hang this up, or was it just sort of a lull, and then a new band would come through, or you'd hear about something, or you know, a friend would mention something. Um, there are ebbs and flows for sure. I, I'm just one of those people that just doesn't give up on things. So even though like at times I'm just like, huh, like, or is there still interest in this or whatever? Like something will come along. I, I'm gonna feel like if it's gonna like die, I'll just die naturally, and it'll be like obvious where it just has it's never hit that point um i still enjoy doing it and it seems like you know people still enjoy you know maybe less than there used to be but there are enough people that still enjoy <laughs> buying the records and you know supporting that it's, it's still worth it and you know i've gotten a lot out of it i mean it's definitely it's definitely changed my life just in terms of it's maybe it's a lot of friends for life um i got to like travel around the world with people i've gotten to like be friends with people around the world and correspond with like really cool people and like you know get to go to a million shows and I mean it's you know it's it's definitely shaped my life in a positive way so um, yeah I mean it's even though at times it seems like a huge pain in the ass <laughs> like you just feel buried in like weird stuff like in the end I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't change it yeah and then um, you know I think too the Mac Rock Festival that. Um, I've talked about on the podcast and um, I absolutely loved going to for close to 10 years. I mean, yeah, no, 10 years in a row being able to, that's funny. That's probably about the number I went, I went to the first one through because my friend, Tony, the guy that worked at Fuel by Ramen started it and he, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. He works at, uh, no idea. He runs, he does the fest now in Florida. Ah, I need to bug you about it. I kind of want to bug him about macro. I used to... You should do a podcast with him, actually. He's yeah. a fascinating guy. I saved every one of the booklets that they used to give out. Oh, it, really? I probably have like three of them somewhere. And the, I remember they were doing some doc, and they like I sent them to some college kid, and I said, please send these back, and they no. like never <laughs> did. And then I had to like hound them. And I was like, God, you're so college. God. Yeah, exactly. No, um, no, I, I love Mac Rock. I mean, we were the biggest supporters of it. We had, you know, we had showcases at it for a number of years in mm-hmm. a row. And I was really sad when it kind of fell apart there. Um, I guess I got it going back again, but I don't know. At this point, I feel kind of removed from that festival because it kind of seemed to go off a cliff. Yeah. They didn't care about where it came from. So I remember one year they changed the people working at it and they were just like, kind of like who are you i'm like are you, are you fucking serious yeah <laughs> showcases that there's like you know like for five years in a row or whatever we've done always done ads always done the label thing and they just didn't seem to care like and i was just like you know maybe it's just maybe it's just best to kind of be done with this one but um i would yeah, love i mean what what if, if someone's listening has no idea what we're talking about it was this it was this conference at harrisonburg virginia at james madison university it was put on by these kids the school um, um, yeah, the radio station, X, WXJM. And yep. what was amazing, I thought, was that it was that region. And it was... Yeah, the, it was Mid-Atlantic band. Yeah, and it just, you felt like you've... It was so many bands, and, and it was this community, you know, if it was the Spaghetti House had something at one time, or if it was the main you know, uh, school center. It seemed like the school was tolerant for, a, you know, for it for a couple of days. It was always a great label expo. It just felt like you had this community where you could meet someone and it wasn't something that they lived in California or they lived in Germany. You could actually trade shows with them because they maybe were in Maryland too. Um, and it, I felt like the bands played there and then, you know, next year you'd hear, oh, wow, what? Oh, wow, they're that band's playing South by Southwest now? Like, you know, yeah, just saw no, them in Mac Rock. To me, it was like a million times better than South by Southwest than anything else because it was very focused. And like you said, you could walk you could walk between the shows and, you know, it, it was just, it was definitely, you yeah, know, it was, it was like a, I mean, although it wasn't meant to just be a punk thing, but it really was in the end, you know, like it, it just, yeah, it was just amazing time to like see different people you don't see, except you'd only see them at Mac Rock, and you get to see amazing bands and just yeah, just so many good shows. I remember a couple years I organized a um, 
uh, wiffle ball game, which I thought was random. Like, you know, hey, we're going to meet on Sunday morning. Awesome. Uh, you know, show up. We got a wiffle ball. We're all going to play. Um, and, you know, for a couple of years, that that was something. Uh, I remember when I worked in my first year at my the first label I ever worked for, I convinced them to let me fly down. Um, and so I remember flying to Charlottesville and renting a car um, and like rolling up and it was just like, what I was like, this is crazy. But I had to go because, you know, friends were playing or, you know, bands were uh, that I wanted to see were playing. And I just remember laughing being like, wow, they actually let me go um, to this again. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I always had the, I mean, I have so many fun memories of that festival. It's, it's ridiculous. It was, it was definitely was a highlight. Like I was just like, it's April, you know, like April's coming up. That means Mac rock, like the time of year when it's like, yeah. Oh, oh it's like in a few months. There'll be Mac rock. And I mean, like every one of our bands played it. And you know, then at, like I, I actually convinced Fugazi to play one year. Cause that I was, was an like, amazing show. Yeah, because I told because like, they were just like looking for a show, and I was just like, you guys should play Mac Rock. They're like, they didn't play festivals, so they were just like, well, it has to be its own separate show. Like, are you sure this is a cool thing? You know, and I was just like, yeah, like definitely. I think you guys sort up like what you guys want to do. That still so, gets yeah, talked about. Like, there was always, yeah, it was always like you get really cool bands to go there. And yeah, I always went out of my way to like preach Mac Rock to people. Like I was, I was like, you got to play this. You got to have like have a label table. You know. Like this is an important thing, and it, it was it was an important thing for many years. You know, it was interesting, and I, and and we'll we'll move on because uh, we're boring everybody. But I could talk about Mac Rock for five hours. The <laughs> yeah. uh, the the other thing I loved that uh, Ian did when he played was he did that uh, talk because there were panels too, and I think that's another thing to mention. Oh the, yeah, they were panels and they were discussions about music or how to book a show. And same yeah. thing as the show, you could go to a festival or you know, a, sorry, a panel, and someone's talking about how to book your life and i don't know there's dumb questions but some kid answered maybe he started a label from it but ian did a talk and i remember it was in just random ass classroom and he was so fucking cool the whole time just answering questions and you know talking and it was just i mean for me being you know independent scene and that you know it was sort of you know hearing someone very fucking important talk <laughs> yeah yeah no they yeah well yeah it was definitely they had a lot of different parts of that thing which were which were cool it, did you convince but, ian to do that talk or that that uh, panel i don't remember that part i mean i remember the talk but i don't i don't remember how that came about honestly so i can't, I can't but the show that. but the show you convinced him to yeah, well, they were, yeah, they were like, are you sure this is, like, a cool thing to do? Because, <laughs> you know, none of those guys had ever gone, and, they're, you know, I was just like, yeah, you should definitely do this. That's awesome. Yeah. You're like... <laughs> yeah. There's actually, it's it's funny, there's actually a, um, this festival, it's kind of sidetracking for a second, but there's this festival in Iceland I've gone to five times now called Iceland Airwaves. It's, it kind of has a similar, it's feel, in a way, the Mac Rock. It's, I'm and the sorry. fact that I mean the the bands are definitely a little different, but they um, Reykjavik's a pretty small town, so everything's like downtown and walkable. Ah, six thousand tickets to it or something, but it's all at all different venues downtown. So you just walk between all the different shows and and stuff, and then you know the shows go on to like four in the morning, and it just I don't know they do have like panels and stuff too during the day, and they have shows like they also have like shows just at like clothing stores or like just all over downtown during the day. Like at night, it's like the official, like you're supposed to have a badge to get into like the club, like all the different clubs that partake. But during the day, you can see all those same bands at like a shoe store or like a restaurant or like the whole downtown's taken over by the festival. And it's just like, it's cool. Cause it's all these random different venues and stuff that normally aren't venues. And wow. Yeah. So you're right. Because I remember I'm, in a small way. Yeah. Because I remember there was a restaurant that I saw Coheed and Cambria play for the first time. Yeah, exactly. And it's like this was a restaurant for, you know, three hundred and sixty-two days of the year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why. That's why this thing in Iceland gives me that feel, where it's just like they they definitely like everyone partakes. Like everyone in the town is like into music that weekend. I kind of felt that about Harrisonburg. Like, like it took over the town in a good way. Like it was just like there was music everywhere, and it was beautiful. And I love that. You know, I I do feel like that that vegan restaurant that you know everyone that was you know lined down the block for little, or the little girl. Yeah, little girl or the or or the cabbies at at the school. Even everyone yeah. was like, "It's cool." Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, I think they got kids to go to that school because of Mac Rock. 
Oh, I'm sure of it. I mean, that's the same reason. I mean, Gil, there are definitely people that went to Guilford because of a radio station. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and um, I think, you know, you're right. That sort of feeling of that venue that isn't a venue is one for a couple days and <laughs> then it goes back. Yeah, to no, I love, I love still going to shows that are at non-show spaces. They're, those shows to me are a lot more fascinating than going to see a band play in a bar. Yeah. Um, you know, I think too, and I want to talk about discord and a little bit, but also, you know, the, the sort of scenes that you were running the label through had an interesting, you know, time period um, just because, you know, late nineties, you know, started the word emo or even the, you know, the punk scene that was sort of, those bands were getting bigger, um, you know, and selling lots of records and then mid two thousands, you know, crazy boom. Um, on your side, when you were still doing your things, were you feeling that? Were you, were you, you know, sensing certain thoughts um, or was it, I don't even notice it and I'm doing my own thing. Um, I noticed it. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, there were, like, you know, a lot of the bands are getting approached and stuff. Like, Engine Down ended up putting that record, that last record, well, I did the vinyl, but they put out the CD version on Lookout. Um, and then, I mean, it was definitely, like, you know, there was definitely, I think, you could sense it around you for sure, um, just because there was a lot more money in the scene than previous, and everyone was trying to, like, you know, find that band. Yeah. Um. So yeah, definitely. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if like we sold more records at the time or or anything like that. But I think there was this sense of like, like everything's getting, getting a little bigger. I mean, most of the bands. I think we were talking about the Refuse thing before the podcast a little bit, but like a lot of the bands that kind of got big that I was friends with seemed to get big after the after the fact that when they were an actual <laughs> band. So it's kind of hard to say, but I mean, I you know like. It was nice, like, bigger, but there were always bands that were bigger, like, uh, Thursday, who would take our bands out on tour, because they were fans of our bands. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Thursday, big, like, Engine Down, come do some shows with us, or Del Cielo, come do some shows with us. Like, some bands that were getting bigger who had actually started um, as fans of our band, like, were, you know, being appreciative towards them, which was cool. Um, actually, skipping back to Mac Rock for a second, yeah. a really funny story is, um, this band, the Rob Ross, who... You're, who's totally un, underappreciated, who everyone should check out if you haven't heard it. They're just totally insane. And the live, you'd have to try to find some live footage of them. But they, they played a, um, a house show at Mac Rock one year in this basement, you know, like next to a washer and dryer, basically, or whatever. And um, <laughs> it's an amazing show. They used to do all these R&B cover songs. They would cover, like, R. Kelly or, like, Genuine. And, like, it, it was... It was total madness, I'll just say. But... It, um, the that band, the Faint, were there. The were playing Mac Rock that year, and the Faint actually started more as like kind of like a punk band. I don't yeah, know I I remember that show. So they were kind of a different style than when they got big. So the Faint actually saw the Rob Ross and were blown away, and they actually changed their style. They told the Rob Ross this years later they played a they had them play a show or two with them, and then they're like, "Man, we that show at Mac Rock you guys played that like changed the way we thought." about music and what we wanted to play <laughs> and yeah, the thing got big off of it <laughs> wow i did not yeah, know they, they, they directly told them they're like yeah that show made us like change our musical style it's like it's crazy yeah you're right because the faint were told that first record's like a punk record yeah and then the next one is you know dance party yeah, usa exactly. <laughs> yeah so yeah so there were things that yeah there were kind of directly but yeah. So we can blame MacRock for that. Exactly, blame <laughs> MacRock for everything. <laughs> um, and then I think too. I mean, you now uh, you do Love It Records, and then you also work at Discord, correct? Yep. And then you've been doing that since two thousand two. Uh, yeah, about yeah. I guess that sounds about right. Yeah. What? How did that come about? I know that uh, Discord so, or did Discord Distroed um, yeah, love it. it? Is is that how yeah. it started? Yeah. So yeah, so Discord um, distributed all the Love It stuff, and then so I used to be in there all the time, and then um, this gets kind of convoluted. My, so my friend Melissa, she used to work at Lumberjack, which was a, a distributor. I don't know if you remember. Yes. Who um, 
my friend Eric started, and he also did Art Monk Construction. Oh, I loved Art Monk. Yeah, so he did both those things. Ah. And then, um, so my friend Melissa, who I met through this, so I used to take my records over to like Lumberjack, too, and they would sell my records. So then Melissa worked over there, got to be friends with her, and then at some point she got a job at Discord. I think she she was an intern at DeSoto, and I think then Kim recommended her for a job at Discord. So anyway, so at some point she was at Discord, and then you know, I was, and then she they basically needed like some part time help. So she recommended she's like you know, she's like we should get Brian to come in and do that stuff. So then you know Ian offered to like basically he was like do you you know could do some part time work? And I'm like well yeah I mean <laughs> you know. You can always use some extra work when you're doing a record label, obviously. So, so I started working there part time, and then um, it became full time. I mean, basically, Ian's like, you know, we sell your stuff. Like, if you're able to incorporate the two things, like, you know, you can use the resources over here and then do your Love It stuff too. And he's just always so generous about the whole thing. So then I started working over there full time, but able to do Love It while I was there, like, kind of intermix some stuff. So, yeah, so I've been over there for a while. And then Melissa left for a while. Now she's, but then I actually brought her back about a year and a half ago. Oh, nice. So kind of flip. Yeah, she left and took a different job, but then um, some staffing changed around at Discord. So I was like, you want to come back? <laughs> so it's kind of funny. How so is I've your. Been, so I'm, I've been there the longest now. Oh, wow. Now, how, how have your jobs, you know, morphed or changed? I mean, I've, I've worked at indie labels, so you kind of have seven different jobs. Um, Equal Vision, I think I had like six. Um, yeah, exactly. But for is that how how you guys kind of have it split up? Is it sort of a uh, you know everyone's kind of got well Discord's interest in the fact that it's kind of two companies. There's Discord Records and there's Discord Direct. Discord mm-hmm. Direct is the distribution wing. Um, that goes back to the um, this is this might be boring to some people, but um, Southern Southern U.S. and Southern England used to um, manufacture and distribute Discord stuff. Discord Direct was set up because Discord wanted to always be to sell their stuff directly to stores and at the cheapest possible price. So Discord Direct used to buy the records from Southern. Like Southern manufacture them, Discord Direct would buy them to sell to like Discord's direct zone stores and then you know pay Southern who would then pay the royalty back on it or whatever. But um, So Discord Direct was always there because Ian and Jeff always thought it was important for people to have a direct route if they wanted to go to it. So they didn't have to like, you know, go to a one stop or go through Southern or whatever. They they wanted people to be able to call Discord and buy the stuff wholesale. If you were a kid selling at a show or you're a legit store. So they wanted to have that outlet. It was really important to them. So um, Southern now is long gone. So Discord Direct still exists, but Discord Direct actually does all the distribution like sells to like all the distributors and then oh wow yeah and then Discord Records you know obviously exists as the label and does all the production and stuff on the records so so you go you go back and forth between Discord Direct and then the record label yeah everyone does kind of work for everything it, it's kind of funny because within the office it's just kind of you don't really think about what you're doing <laughs> you just everyone <laughs> just does you know there's not there's a lot of obviously like it's two different sets of books and it's two different companies, but it's through everyone, you know, obviously has to do stuff for both. I mean, technically I'm the like label manager for discord <laughs> records, but I, I do more than enough stuff for discord direct. Too, so. You were about to say, I do a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just like everyone has to do everything. I mean, in the end, I guess I, you know, things, um, I deal with some of the bigger picture stuff than maybe some other people do, but everyone kind of, everyone pitches in and does everything. So, yeah, so I do, I do that, but the, luckily, I mean, it's been, you know, in the age of laptops and, you know, iPhones and iPads and everything else, you're just kind of always connected. So I'm doing with both Levin and Discord basically at all hours kind of equally, but, you know, everyone, at, you know, it's kind of intertwined, like, I try to keep people in the office are all at Discord are really nice about you know, like everyone like pitches in on love it stuff if need be too. So that's rad. And then yeah, some stuff I try to keep some stuff I try to keep 
separate on purpose just because I want you know I want it to be my thing. But there's like plenty of things where it's not separate. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you know I think. I mean, if you've hit Indie Rock Jackpot, it, it's working for Discord and having a label distro through them. What's sort of yeah. your favorite thing about working with, because that label to me is, and there are labels before them, but you know, for the, my generation or my things is, that's the gold standard um, for, you know, if it's pricing or aesthetic or um, going about your day, going about your life. Well, definitely. Um, I mean, if, yeah, if you told like, junior high me that you know me at this age would be doing you know working at discord and having a lot of responsibility i would be like you know like fuck you that's crazy (laughs) but i mean when you when i step back from it 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 still does seem crazy to me just because yeah it was like a huge influence on me growing up like everything discord did was like it couldn't do any wrong to me what's 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 most satisfying about working there and being a part of it I mean, you're 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 part of history. I mean, you're definitely a part of something that's changed, you know, touched and changed so many people's lives, like around the world. Um, I mean, you can't really overstate the, you know, like what Discord has done over the years. I mean, obviously, you can find millions of random people in the world that have no idea like what it is, but you could also find millions of people that have actually been like it's actually they have a real connection and have been affected by by something that Discord has put out or done, which is, you know, it's it's crazy. And, you know, some days you just, like, when you step back, you're like, oh, that that's weird. Like, yeah, you just, I mean, you kind of, obviously you have to work in the present and you, you know, we're, we do a lot of catalog stuff, obviously, but we're still, you know, we're still doing stuff for that day. But when you think about, like, the history of the label, um, yeah, it, it's it's pretty insane for sure. And just to be around it, like on a daily basis is, is really cool. Yeah. I mean, we it's, we get a lot of visitors that come in and they like freak out. And then like, sometimes you kind of just forget cause it, it's obviously a job. Um, and the fact that, you know, you go to it every day and you, you work a certain number of hours and you know, you have a routine and then some days you just don't really think about what you're doing. You don't think like, Oh, like I'm pulling these like, you know, original minor threat master tapes for some reason. You don't, you know, like, <laughs> You don't really, you know, you're just like, you got to like, do, 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 and you just, you know, you're just doing whatever. You don't think, yeah. So, um, I'm sorting these test pressings that are probably worth $10,000 or whatever. And you're not, you're not really thinking about it, but then someone will come in from like Peru and just like start like freaking out, like, like how happy they are to be like at the office and like see the Discord house and get a picture. And then you realize, you know, it kind of hits you again, like, oh shit, like this is a really special thing to be a part of. Um, I, I mean, love I definitely that. take it for granted at all, but there are, there are, you know, you just kind of get in your routine and you just don't think about what you're doing some days. And then, you know, it's a pretty common occurrence that someone will come in and be like really overwhelmed by, by stopping by and you, then you're like, Oh yeah, that was me when I was a teenager. (laughs) Yeah. I think to the, yeah, someone stopping by or, um, I know a friend's band, I think it was last, it was this past summer had a photo with Ian in, in front. It was, um, friend's band, rough Francis, um, and they're, cool. they're, they're, uh, they're one of the members or a few of the members in the band, the, the, their relatives and parents were in death. And so the, you know, the, they were oh, kind of, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They were kind of being like, Oh my God. I remember them texting me. They're like, Tommy, Tommy, where the fuck this? <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, we see, <laughs> like we're across the street. The office is right across the street from the house. So if we see, um, like a van pull up. Yeah, like we're like we see people getting a picture outside the house. Like we'll be like, oh, do you, like they're taking a picture. We'll like you know, we'll like be like, hey, do you want us to take that picture? Or like if Ian like hears people and he's not like you know on a phone call or doing something, he'll come out and like get pictures with them or like give them a quick tour or whatever. Like we we all try to be like because you, know, you that's so really cool. cool about it that just yeah. to hear that because that means that that random ass band. And maybe ten years from now, whatever something else happens, and he's making a decision. And I'm not saying that. I'm just. I'm not sure if I'm explaining this correctly, but I feel like it just. It just puts this in this right mindset. Like I went here. This is what this means. Someone came out. They talked to me for two minutes. That meant the world. I'm gonna go and try and be that too. 
Well, exactly. No, I mean, it, fully. And we definitely understand that. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying about, like, people helping when I started the label. Like, you know, I remember that. And I feel like I have to pass that, pass that on because and hope that, you know, the person I've done that for will do the same thing. Yeah. Um, because, you know, like, in the end, we're all, you know, you got to treat people with respect. And, you know, it's just, it's just the right thing to do. I mean, it's like we can always take five minutes out of our day to, you know, help someone take a picture outside or, like, give them a quick tour of the office or, you know, whatever. Like, you you know, you don't want to close the blinds and yeah. <laughs> be like, yeah. oh, let's pretend like we didn't see that person quick. <laughs> Get away, kid. Yeah. <laughs> We're making gold records in here, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'd say 95 the 99% of people are like really nice and like awesome to come and visit. I mean, there have been definitely a couple of weirdos over the years that are like, Jesus, <laughs> but, but you know, like uh, for the most part, everyone's like super cool and like, and nice and respectful, which is, which is cool. Well, I think it's absolutely fat, you know, amazing that, you know, I've, you know, loved, love it. And I think you put out some amazing records. And, um, when I put this up, uh, everybody that's listening, I'll have some links up to some bands that everyone needs to check out. And, and, uh, um, you know, you shaped how I've sort of listened to music and, um, created music. And I think you going then to discord, it's almost like you've, um, you're, you're able to do it even bigger. Yeah, it it 100% is. I'm glad to be a part of it. And I'm glad it's still, kicking around too because <laughs> you need a job <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i can find another job but yeah it's um it's yeah it's just yeah um it's just i i don't know it's the same thing with love it you just never know like when something's gonna stop but it'll you know everything has a life cycle but i'm, I'm glad that you know that that discord's been able to continue on and that definitely hope you have a good rest of your night and you uh, really really appreciate this chat and uh, it meant a lot that you took time to do this of course well thank you Up emo fans, thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening and for this current episode you're about to hear. I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume Two was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shuttle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com